You're listening to the weekly sermon of Huntersville Presbyterian Church. We're so glad that you're here and hope that through listening to God's word, you will come away refreshed and renewed for what life has to bring you this week. Here's this week's sermon. Glory alone. Amen. Uh, There's an axiom that uh, you sometimes hear in in businesses or organizations, any kind of organization that's looking to make some sort of organizational change. And, And it doesn't matter whether it's a business or a football team or whatever the organization might be, even in churches. Uh, It's it's kind of just a fundamental truth, and it's it's really common sense, and you hear it said in a whole lot of different ways, but it basically goes like this. If you keep doing what you've always done, you're going to keep getting the results you've always gotten. Y'all have heard that, right, before? If you want to get different results, the chances are something is going to have to change. In fact, someone wants to find insanity as the act of doing the same actions and expecting different results. If you want different results, something has to change. And it's not just true in organizations, it's true in our lives as well. And, and sometimes it shows up in, in very re- kind of real and tangible ways. Uh, if I'm tired all the time, anybody tired all the time? If I'm tired all the time, if I just lack energy and I need more rest and, and more sleep, then something has to change. I, I've, I've got to make some changes so I can get the rest and sleep I need. One of the things I might suggest is turn off your social media after dinner. Be a good start. If my calendar is just overwhelming and there's just so much to do and, and there's no way I can possibly get it all done, something has to change. And, and what I probably need to do is learn how to say no. If my blood pressure number is, is kind of, you know, the numbers sort of look like the score of a Clemson-NC State football game. And one number is just really high and the other one's way, way down low. You can figure out which one's which. I mean, you know, then, then something has to change. And I need to exercise more and I, I might need to eat better. And then sometimes it shows up in ways that aren't quite as physical or tangible, but, but they're just as real. Maybe my relationships, my my friendships, my marriage, my family, the way that I interact with my kids, maybe they just don't seem healthy. And something has to change. Or or maybe the way that I'm managing my money is just leaving me with nothing but worry and anxiety and stress. Something has to change. Or maybe my spiritual life the way I'm following Jesus, maybe it just feels kind of empty and dry and feels like I'm just going through the motions. Something has to change. See, I am convinced, I'm absolutely convinced that Jesus offers us not only a way to live forever, but Jesus offers us a better way to live today. But what I have discovered to experience that better way Often something has to change. And usually you know what the thing is that has to change? Me. What what mostly has to change is me. I, I just can't keep living life, doing things the way that I've been doing them, the way that seems best to me, and expecting different results. To know Jesus' better life, often what has to happen is that I 
have to change. Now, the good news is change is possible, but not on my own. I'm going to need God to do something new in order for me to do something new. Think about that. I need God to do something new in order for me to do something new. Now, hold that thought because we're going to come back to that in a moment. If you've been with us, you know this year we're working our way through the, the entire Bible. We're going Genesis through Revelation. And uh, we're, uh, during the week, a bunch of us are reading every single word of it. On Sunday mornings, we're just kind of hitting the highlights as we go. And we're at a place on Sunday mornings where Israel is now divided into two kingdoms. There's Israel in the north and Judah down here in the south. And both kingdoms are going to fall and the people are going to get carried off into exile Uh, It's all going to be a consequence of their disobedience. But before that happens, God sends prophets to both the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. People like Joel and Micah and Amos, and they come and they bring words of warning. And they bring words of judgment. and, And mixed in that are also words of hope. And last week we looked at one of the more significant of these prophets, and we're going to look at him again today. He's a prophet. He's prophesying down in the southern kingdom of Judah toward the very end of the nation, a guy by the name of Jeremiah. Again, Jeremiah shows up toward the end. The clock's running out. The armies of Babylon are about to just destroy Jerusalem completely, carry the people off into exile. Things have gotten really bad. And and like all the other prophets, Jeremiah, he brings warnings, he brings judgment. As we saw last week, Jeremiah also brings words of real hope. And when you get to Jeremiah 30, and that's where we're going to be today, we're going to be in Jeremiah 30. You know, I love it when you follow along, so if you've got a Bible and there's some right there in the racks in front of you, or pull it up on your phone or tablet, we're going to be in Jeremiah 30 and 31 pretty much today. But you get to chapter 30, and you begin a section of the letter, uh, the book of Jeremiah There are four chapters that are just filled with hope, just filled with hope. And they're filled with God's promises to change things and to do something new. Uh, This section of Jeremiah, these these four chapters, they're kind of a book within the book. Uh, Sometimes people refer to these four chapters as the book of comfort. Most of Jeremiah is the book of lamenting. But these four chapters are, are kind of a book of comfort. And they begin this way in chapter 30, verse 1. It says, the word, of the, Lord came, the, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Write in the book all the words I have spoken to you. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from their captivity and restore them to the land I gave their ancestors to possess, says the Lord. Back in chapter 1, if you're going to read through the whole Bible, we'll get to Jeremiah eventually. But in chapter 1, God begins uh, by telling Jeremiah, hey, here's what's going to happen. Uh, Today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And then follows 29 chapters of uprooting and tearing down. All all the judgment, just all the ways that God's, because of the people's disobedience, is going to send them off into exile. But then you get here to chapter 30, and in these four chapters, the building and the planting starts again. God's saying, back up up in verse 3, the days are coming, I'm going to bring everybody back, Israel and Judah. I'm going to put them back in the land that I gave their ancestors to possess. You get down in verse 11. God says, I am with you and I will save you. 
Down in verse 18, God promises. He says, I'll restore the fortunes of Jacob's tents and have compassion on his dwellings. And the city will be rebuilt on her ruins and the palace will stand in its proper place. And if you flip over to chapter 31, God says, I'm going to do all of this, not because you deserve it, but because I love you. Love this. Verse 3, I have loved, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. And because I love you, God says, here's what you should do, starting in verse 8. God says, you should sing with joy for Jacob. Shout for the foremost of the nations. Make your praises heard and say, Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. God says, see, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. And I will lead them beside streams of water and on a level path where they will not stumble because I am Israel's father. And then my favorite verses and, and this, this whole section, this, this book of comfort, uh, they, they come in the, the following verses in chapter 31. And, and what we find here is a promise to change. It, it's a new covenant that God wants to make. So I just want you to listen to these verses. Um, You've got to skip down uh, chapter 31, starting in verse 31. Uh, just listen. This is the word of God. God says, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or, or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Now, let's unpack these verses. Such a powerful section. It uh, begins this way. The days are coming. The, God says, the days are coming when I will make a what? A new covenant. God says, the days are coming when I'm going to make a new covenant. Now, if you're going to have a new covenant, that means you first had to have what? And y'all are really bright this morning. Everybody got their coffee. I like that. Good. Uh, you had to have an old covenant, right? You can't have a new covenant without an old covenant. And there was an old covenant. You've been reading through the Bible, you know this, the Old Covenant was found back in the beginning of the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. The nation of Israel, they've been set free from slavery in Egypt. They've been brought, they're in the wilderness now, they're getting ready to go into the land that God had promised, the land that he had prepared for them. And God wants to give them some rules for living, for how to live in a relationship with him and how to live in a relationship with other. And so God gives them these rules that they put together in the book of the covenant. And Moses, Moses is the guy who's leading the people of Israel at the time. Moses comes and he presents the covenant to them. And, and the story goes like this. This is in Exodus 24, starting in verse 3, if you want to jump around and find that. Moses went and he told the people all the Lord's words and all his laws. And they responded with one voice. Don't miss this. They responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. And Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. 
And he got up early the next morning and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain. And he set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he sent young Israelite men and they offered, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in bulls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant, and he read it to the people. And they responded again. We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. And then Moses took the blood, and he sprinkled it on the people. I know it sounds gross, but it's what he did. And he sprinkled it on the people, and he said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. That was the old covenant. That, that's the old covenant. It's a covenant that recognized the seriousness of sin, took sin very, very seriously, and the consequence of sin, which is death. That's why it's a blood covenant. And so, protect, so to protect Israel from death, God establishes this old covenant, this set of laws to follow. And most of us today, we still try to live by those old covenant laws. And they're good things. Old covenant told you don't steal. And don't tell lies. And don't worship idols. And don't commit adultery. And don't covet your neighbor's stuff. And don't murder. And honor your father and mother so they're not tempted to murder. The, the Old Covenant established these rules that we were supposed to live by. And you notice after the people of Israel received the covenant, y'all got what they said, right? Put it up on the screen. Y'all say it with me. They received the covenant, and they said, let's all say it together, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. And I bet they meant it. The problem was they didn't. They didn't obey. I mean, I'm sure they wanted to. They, they, they really wanted to obey. They didn't want to lie and kill and steal and chase after other gods. But they did. In fact, if, if they had been able to, you know, keep their promise and, you know, not to do it, the Bible would just be about this thick. That's all we would need. But they couldn't. I mean, they just kept chasing after other gods. They murdered their children told lie after lie. And then 1,300 years go by. That's like all this part of the Bible. And, and it's 1,300 years of trying really hard to obey, trying really hard to, to keep the old covenant, but just stumbling and falling and failing over and over again. And, and when you think about it, that's our story too, right? I mean, we, we still try to, to follow those old covenant laws, and, and they're good laws. They're, they're the right rules for living in a relationship with God and, and in a relationship with one another. And, and we don't want to lie or steal or covet other people's stuff or put anything in to be more important than, than, than worshiping God. And we want to honor our parents, and we want to trust God with, with everything that we have. And we try, but, but just like the people of Judah and Israel, I mean, we stumble and we fall and, and we fail, no, no matter how hard we try. Sometimes we, we fall in, in really big ways, kind of spectacular ways. A lot of times it's just in little ways, little kind of everyday ways. 
And again, that's what happens for the people of Judah. I mean, 1,300 years go by of just trying really hard. They said they would obey. They just, just couldn't do it. And they, they, trying really hard isn't improving anything. Because when you need to make a change, just trying harder, that, that, that something has to change. God, and God knew it. Something had to change. And God says, you know what we need? We need a new covenant. We need a better covenant. We, we need to do things a new way. Something's got to change here. Uh, we need a covenant that's not dependent upon the people's ability to be obedient. So God says, here's the plan. Verse 32, the days are coming. There's a day coming when I'm going to make a what? A new covenant. I'm going to make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Because it's just insanity to keep living in the old covenant, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. God says, I'm going to make a new covenant. And God says, this, old, this new covenant, it's not going to be anything like the old covenant. It's going to be a better covenant. You couldn't keep the old covenant, but this new covenant is so much better. Here's why. Uh, first of all, this new covenant is going to be internal, not external. Uh, the old covenant, it was written on tablets of stone. Uh, God says, this new covenant, verse 33, I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it not on tablets of stones. I will write it where? In their hearts. I'm going to write in their hearts. I just love that image, written in our hearts. God says this new covenant, this is not something that's happening externally. This is something I'm doing inside you. This is, I'm, I'm recreating you from the inside out. I'm, I'm writing my laws on your heart. You get to the New Testament, the second letter to the Corinthians, uh, chapter 3, verse 3. It says, the spirit of the living God writes not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Th those nudgings of your conscience that, that you get sometimes, you don't know what that feels like. Those thoughts you have that tell you this is right and this is wrong and I really need to do what is right. That, that's all the work of the Holy Spirit writing God's laws on your heart. See, covenants written on tablets of stone, I mean, they, they can be broken they, they can be rejected. But when you write a covenant on, on the heart, on the inside, it starts to become part of who you are. And, and following that covenant, it, it begins to become just as natural, naturally part of us, just part of our nature. It's as easy as it is to breathe. It's also better because this new covenant offers a full knowledge of God. Verse 34, God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord. Because who will know me? They will all know me. From the least of these to the greatest. And if you're reading Jeremiah, if you flip back to chapter 22, God says, here's what, here's what knowing me looks like. God says, here's what knowing God looks like. God says, your father did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me? See, to know God means to live in obedience to his commands. 
And I'm convinced, especially his command for justice, not the way we tend to think of justice as getting even, but in God's understanding of justice, which means to put things back right again, to put them back to the way God originally intended. And, and what that means that for, you know, kind of for you and for me, if someone says, well, you know, I, I believe in God or I, I try to follow Jesus, you know, I'm a Christian, but the way they live their lives doesn't show a concern for justice. If they're not concerned about the poor and the needy in, in their midst, then they, they don't know God at all. The Old and the New Covenants, they, they both demand obedience, but what's better about the New Covenant is the obedience flows out of a relationship. The knowledge we have of God comes from a relationship. And God initiates it. He says, I will be their God, and everyone will know me. From the least to the greatest, there are no classes of Christians. Nobody gets to claim moral superiority. No one's better than anybody else. From the least to the greatest. And no one gets left out. And everyone has access to this knowledge of God. And everyone gets to embrace God's commands. But this is maybe the most important reason that the new covenant is better than the old one. The new covenant is established by God's forgiveness. I think this is the most important verse in this section. I'm convinced this is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. It's the last lines of verse 34. I want you to read them with me. Put them up on the screen. God says, say it aloud, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Read it again. God says, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. The old covenant, the forgiveness that it offered, is just temporary. Just kind of like it covered over the sin. And, and, and that's why the people had to make sacrifices over and over again, kept having to cover over the sin, cover over the sin. God says the new covenant's not going to be like that. And the new covenant, I'm going to deal with your wickedness. I'm going to deal with your sin once and for all and once for all. God says in, in the new covenant, sin doesn't just co get covered up. God says in, in the new covenant, I will forgive your wickedness and I will forget your sin completely. It's not just covered up, it's erased it's taken away. You, you are completely set free. You are no longer in bondage to sin and death. Sins aren't just covered over. They're taken away completely. Somebody say amen because that's really good news. And what that meant for the people of Judah and what it means for you and for me is that there is always the possibility for a new beginning. That the exile is not going to last forever. That God, because of his love for us, is always going to be faithful. And it's not because God doesn't take sin seriously. Of course he does. He, he takes our sins so seriously that he gave his very life to take that sin away. I mean, our sins, the, the, the ways in which we turn from God and the ways in which we hurt other people and, and the ways in which we hurt ourselves, our sin, it, it separates us from a God who longs to be in a relationship with us. And our sin, they, they matter so much 
that, that God says, I've got to establish some new covenant. One made in my blood. Remember, it, it requires blood because the consequence of sin is death. So God makes these promises through the, the prophet of Jeremiah and about 600 years go by, about, you know, maybe that much in the Bible. And the people just wait. And, and, and they keep trying and failing and sometimes getting it right, but often getting it wrong. And 600 years go by, and then when the time was exactly right, God says, okay, now it's time to fulfill this new covenant. And Jesus comes. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm here to make God fully known. On, on one occasion, Jesus says in John 17, Jesus says, I have made God known and will continue to make him known. And, and Jesus understood that knowing God happens when we begin to obey what he's commanded us to do, his way of be obedient to his way of living. John 14, Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. I mean, in Jesus, God comes to us, to everyone, to the least, to the greatest, to everybody. Knowledge is available to everybody to show us a better way to live. And what we discover is that life, it really is better with Jesus. Because he really makes us better at life. And sometimes we still get it wrong. We're not perfect. We still stumble and we still fall. No matter how hard we try, no matter how committed we might be. But in the new covenant, God has forgiven that wickedness. And, and he remembers our sin no more. In fact, the night before he went to a cross to die, to shed his blood so our sins are forgiven, Jesus was sitting at a table like this with his friends. He took a cup, remember that? He, he took a cup and he said, this cup is the what? The new covenant. This is the new covenant, it's sealed in my blood. Going all the way back to Exodus, because blood was required because the consequence of sin is death. So let me go back to where we started. Maybe there's some place in your life right now where something needs to change. And, and if you just keep doing things the way you've been doing them, nothing's going to change. And, and maybe there's a place in your life that something needs to change. Maybe it's the way you're managing your money. Maybe it's the way you're managing your emotions and your way is just not working. Uh, maybe your marriage or your family or your friendships. Again, maybe it's your relationship, the way you relate to your kids. Uh, maybe they're just not as healthy as they should be. Uh, maybe your spiritual life just feels kind of empty right now. Like you're, God's real distant and you're, you're just going through the motions. Uh, maybe you can't let go of the past. You're, you're kind of weighted down with shame and guilt over something that you've done. Or you're spending just all your time looking back and remembering how good things used to be. And you're kind of trapped in the past either way. And something has to change. And you hear us talk about a better life. Jesus makes it possible for us to live a better life. And we talk about an abundant life. And you'd love to experience that kind of life, but you're just not experiencing it right now. Something's got to change. And the chances are the thing that needs to change is you. Jesus offers you a new covenant. 
one that's, that's not written on tablets of stone, but one that he will write in your heart if you just open your heart and invite him to. So let me get real practical and, and, and tell you two things that you can do. Uh, maybe you don't really know God. Jesus came to make him fully known. God promises in the new covenant that you, you don't have to hear about him. You'll get to know him, really know him. Best way to get to know him is spend time in his word. Bunch of us are doing that this year. We we're kind of reading through the whole Bible. We start in January. Here's the good news. We are almost to the halfway point. Hallelujah. We're, we're about to make it. But let me just kind of say this. If, if you've been reading with us, and you got off track and you're days and days behind, so you just kind of given up. Just let it go. There's a lot of grace here. Just, you know, start back. Pick up where we are today. I, I talked to a, a, a guy this week who has not been, he didn't start in January with us, has not been reading at all, but he's about to start now, and he's just going to pick up where we are today. So we, we're about to get new bookmarks in the back to, you know, for, the, for the next section, and if you use the app, let me know, and I'll show you how to get, get on the app be able to use that. Just start spending time. If you start spending time in God's Word every day, you will get to know Him better, and you will change, okay? But I also know for some of you that you, you do that. You spend time in God's Word every day, and you still feel like you're tired, you're, you're worried, you're anxious, your spiritual life just feels kind of dry. Here's what I challenge you to consider. Are you a hearer or a doer of the words you're reading? Are you just hearing them? Are you actually trusting God enough to put them into practice? Do you give the way that Jesus gave, sacrificially, with, 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 uh, generously? Do you forgive the way that Jesus forgave, without condition or retribution? Do you love the way that Jesus loves? people who look just like you and people who aren't anything like you? Are you hearing the words but not being a doer of the word? Or, and maybe the challenge for you is you need to take what you're reading and you need to actually trust God enough to put it into practice. Here's what I know. If you keep doing what you've always done, you know what you're going to get? What you've always gotten. And there may be some place in your life that God wants to do a new thing. And you know it. Because you'd love for God to do a new thing. But something has to change. And the chances are what needs to change is you. So would you pray with me? Lord, even as I, I, I said that last sentence, that is so easy to say and so hard to do. It, it's hard to be humble enough to confess that we need to make changes in our lives, that, that we need to acknowledge that our way of doing things has, has not been the best for us. It's not easy to trust you we, we, we want to be in control. We want to hold on tightly. It's not easy to let go of control or to let go of the past, past glory or past failures. It's not easy to live and love and give and forgive and, and manage everything the way that you show us is a better way. 
And yet, Lord, we believe that it is. Lord, thank you that in in the new covenant, you're, you're doing a work inside us. You're writing your laws, your truths upon our hearts. Would our hearts be open to receive that and the, this transformation would begin on the inside of us and, and then it would transform us and, and, and it would transform our marriages and our friendships and the way we relate to our kids. And, and we would discover this better life that really can be found in you. Lord, we believe that is possible. Would you help our unbelief? For we pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Huntersville Presbyterian Church. Here at HBC, we believe that life is better with Jesus because Jesus makes us better at life. If you're looking for a church to call home, we would love to share his life with you. To learn more about us, or if you'd like to give online, visit huntersvillepres.org. Thank you.